This is a Forwardly podcast. Dateline, Hollywood, California. There are eight million stories in the naked city. Why is it that Tinseltown can seem to tell those stories worth a damn? Never fear, dear listeners. There is a cure for this condition. Is there a doctor in the house? In fact, there's two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are inflationary. No telling how high our price will go, but you can be sure it'll be worth it. Absolutely. And by our value, of course, I mean the man who needs no dollar sign in front of his name, Dr. D. How are you, Dr. D? I am determined to talk about this movie tonight. How are you, Dr. G? I am just fine. Just fine. <laughs> so glad to hear it. Yes, yes. Uh, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we are going to be talking about Get Back, the long-awaited and long-to-watch <laughs> Beatles documentary from Peter Jackson. Uh, just in case you don't know the backstory, uh, when the Beatles were recording the album that became Let It Be, uh, there was the idea to have a film crew film them rehearsing and then perform a concert and then release it as a documentary. Uh, a lot of footage was shot and almost all of it wasn't used except for the 80 some odd minutes that was released as the documentary in 1970 called Let It Be, which, uh, uh, well, I'll be... Uh, objective here and say it, it it tended to focus on some of the negatives going on at that time but it uh it since became legend as documenting the breakup of the beatles uh perhaps for that reason consequently and perhaps because the quality of the film also wasn't good uh it was suppressed for years it came out on vhs but never got a dvd or blu-ray release peter jackson was uh employed to uh, to go back and revisit all of the original footage that was recorded and make a new documentary out of it. Uh, I believe the uh, the official numbers are something like uh, 60 hours of audio and 150 hours of visual footage. Oh, my God. Now condensed into somewhere around eight hours. And, and by all accounts, including maybe hours... <laughs> it's uh, it's an improvement on the original. Now, Doctor D, before we even get into brass tacks about this, are you? Uh, do you have any familiarity at all with the original documentary? Let it be. Well, I'm going to answer that question in uh, multiple sections or ways. Um, no, I don't think I've ever seen it, other than maybe bits and pieces of it in passing. Um, I sort of am more aware of it having been a maybe a doc a, uh, a film that documented their you know the breakup of the band in a way but i'll step even further back from that and say that that 
that as a Beatles fan, I was much more interested in the music they produced during the touring years. During a young, as a young Beatles fan, I was much more interested in the work that, that came out during the touring years because I have a more of a pop inclination. Hmm. Um, and in some ways, I think maybe the, the music that they produced in the studios was a little too sophisticated for me when I was, you know, uh, in my late <laughs> teens and even in my early 20s. Um, so I would rather um, Love Me Do, generally speaking, than I would want to Revolver. Um, interesting interesting but, and that is in fact something that they address in the documentary is that they wanted to get back to the basics right with, of recording songs live and without a whole lot of studio right right and they're sort of after finding their way through that because they were they were so i think by then ensconced in a, a different way of doing things um so i was never much drawn to it the the original i didn't seek out that original documentary much because the music involved wasn't the music i was intimately familiar with eventually i ended up with a uh, you know a, a, a channel on my radio that i would hit up whenever i was in the car that had you know commercial free beatles and i became much sure. more familiar with the the latter half of their catalog in a way i hadn't so now i'm absolutely gaga to watch you know because now you resp you respond to the material from this period right in, in a and, and i appreciate because i'm more of a full-grown man now i appreciate the impact that they had i was just sort of a fanboy then but now right. i can appreciate it from uh, the perspective of a creative person and the impact they had on music uh itself and uh, and all of the other stuff, and then and also in some ways, I get the look in the mid seventies when I was a uh, or even late seventies when I was a teenager, the long and winding road wasn't that old as a song, just to pick a song right. out of out of or or any of them, Hey Jude or any of the stuff, but. Now it's it's thirty years down the road, and these things are echoing and echoing and echoing, and you go, "Oh, I sure. see. This is a really important piece of music." You know, you don't understand when you know um, Adele right, sings when a song. Right, you're and you're singing along, to right. Hey Jude, you don't really, yeah, get the uh, the the thing. The of it. So anyway, that was a really long answer to your question, but um, so I went into this with a more interest in in what it was going to be than I would have years ago. A little bit more vested. I kind of had a similar trajectory as a, you know, as a kid. I liked the songs. I never really gave them much thought. And then an adult, other music comes in and, you know, Beatles schmeedles. But, um, <laughs> right. Beatlemania always fascinated me. The, the mm -hmm. historical impact, the cultural detonations that they set off. Yeah. Um, and in time, I, became much more fond of that sophisticated middle period when they were doing studio trickery and, and mm -hmm. whatnot, and less so with the what I considered the easy stuff like Hey Jude and right. Long and Winding Road. Um, now, I had seen the original documentary, mm. uh, Let It Be, yeah. and I can tell you that it's almost unwatchable. 
on a number of levels. <laughs> See, that was the feeling I'd had when I'd seen bits and pieces of it was, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. It's, first of all, it's, it's, it's just it's visually draining on the eyes because it's, it's, it's never been presented in good quality. Um, yeah. But also just the selection of material, especially once you compare it to this, it's just, yeah. It, it, uh, frankly, it's astonishing to me it was even released. Mm. It's that it's that bad. Not that it's it what it's that it's depicting anything bad. It's just that the shots he chose to use, the moments he chose to focus on, it's like it's like watching four guys forced to work with each other and not being into it. Right, right. And now we have the Peter Jackson take. Right. Can I put a pause on for one second? Pause it. Yes. Uh, I want to go back and clarify something because I thought I heard you say something that wasn't the way I remembered it. Uh-oh. Which is that I, I think the intention wasn't that this was going to be a film. It was going to be a television show, which is why they were shooting on 16 to begin with and not 35. That is true. That is that is true. Okay. Yes. Um, so that... the. The whole concept of what they were doing, and we'll get into this, just kept kind of breaking down and deteriorating as they went forward. It started with these these sort of grander ideas, and then it began to crumble in a way, like what their ultimate output would be. Um, right. And also, I'm not right. sure, I think you got the, this really doesn't matter, I think you got the numbers, the number of hours correctly, but I feel like you inverted uh, whether or not it was 60 hours of picture and 150 hours of sound or, or the other way around. doesn't matter. God damn it. You would have to call me out on that real early in the game. I'm so yeah, sorry. I gotta go look it up. Yeah, I'm so okay. sorry, yeah, man. Right. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's just every episode started with that. It started with the the thing. This is all cutting room floor here. No, it's not. We haven't. We haven't even done a quick tape. A quick tape. Yet. Well, that's funny. I know, but we can cut around some of this. Ah, look at you! God damn it! You're right again. Yes, 150 hours of audio and 60 hours of film footage. Thank you very much. You are quite welcome. Um, it's the only thing I'm going to be really accurate about this entire time. <laughs> well, well, okay. So we've both seen up to part two. Did you finish part two? Yeah. Okay, I did too, and that's and that's as far as I've gotten so far. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're breaking this up into two parts because it's more than any one episode should be allowed to handle. Um, so, what is your what what's your feeling about parts one and two? For, do we talk about them as individual parts? Well, that's we sort of what I meant. As a <laughs> here, 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 thing? I'm going to even clarify the statement you made a moment ago. <laughs> God, you're going to hate me by the time this one is over. Oh, are we starting over? Are no, we no, going no. to start this episode over? No, no, okay, absolutely good. not. Absolutely not. Um, when you say we're going to break it into two into two episodes, we're going to discuss episodes one and two now, and we're going to discuss episode three on a separate podcast, yes. um, that there might be other things we discuss on that separate, other Beatle-related stuff we discuss on that second podcast, because by the time... In addition to whatever Beatle-related stuff might come up during yeah, this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, I think we need to talk about them as individual episodes. Um, get back. Okay. You know, episode one and get part back one, episode two. Yeah. Part two. Okay, fine. That's fine. Because the they, first act, the second act, and yeah, the third act. Kind of, yeah. 
Um, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and, and I feel like, you know, quick takes might be unnecessary here, but I will just say that, um, that this was, it was not always something comfortable to watch um, because of the tensions among and between them. Hmm. But I am so very glad that it exists for me to watch. Um, and that, you know, I think Beetle uh, completists are obviously just going to see it. There's no question there. But, you, you know, the casual Beetle fan will probably get a fair amount out of this. Um, I would hope that that somebody who wasn't even really that familiar with the Beatles might also get something from it because it's certainly kind of interesting just on the human dynamic level. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Um, certainly the, 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 the working dynamic of a band, you know, it's one thing when you hear a finished song and I don't think a lot of people give a lot of thought to what goes into creating that song right sometimes someone just has a brainstorm and writes it out and the, the 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 basic skeleton of the song is there and it's just a matter of embellishing yeah and then there are times like during get back where it gets slowly worked out and tweaked and yeah improvised and added on and it takes days if not weeks to mm -hmm. come to the song you know and love right and that can be well I, I, I'm sure it's nothing but a painful process for the songwriters and musicians involved. It's sometimes a painful process to watch. Um, yeah. And this documentary is definitely a warts and all kind of experience. Um, but I, I found it absolutely fascinating to see how Paul's just killing time strumming oh. and you hear right. the beginning of Get Back you, you watch coming Get in. Back be born birthed yes it's true it's it's astonishing this is now episode one that we were talking about in particular mm -hmm. yeah that they're waiting for John who's late mm -hmm. presumably had John been on time who knows how that would have happened Yep, or it wouldn't yep. have happened at that moment, perhaps. So there's like all of that kind of like circumstantial, just magic going on. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was exhilarated, not just fascinating, but it was exhilarating to watch him find that melody and to find those, the, the, the rhythm of the guitar. And he's doing it on a bass. Mm -hmm. He's not even playing a guitar. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's treating a bass like a guitar. Um, in that he was sort of forming kind of half chords and things like that. You could almost you could almost argue that this is more about watching Paul at work. Mm. That's interesting. He... Yeah, <laughs> watching. I mean, Paul I wouldn't say fight against all of the <laughs> other. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that Paul dominates the proceedings. That's a phrase that has been used a lot. Um, so much as I think he's just, he's the most into it out of everybody and he's yeah. he's got a he definitely has a stronger work ethic or had during yeah. that month you know to, <laughs> to, to kind of drive the bus yeah yeah um but yeah it, it, it it's very much paul's show 
But then again, I mean, this is also the phase of the Beatles' career where I believe they were Paul and John. Uh, Paul and John were not collaborating as much as they used to be. Right, and I think they even at some point, maybe in the second episode, they do. There is some sort of a discussion about how when they were all physically together closer and. For example, with the touring, when they were all together all the time, it was kind of easier to have those moments where you would have the juice. You'd be, you know, revved up because of all of this amazing stuff that was happening and that would then feed this. But it's it also sounded like like from their early teens, when they first got, came together, there was some sort of a dynamic that just symmetry. had yeah. them synergy synergy yeah that, that that sort of music just poured out of them because they make a reference to the hundred songs they wrote in high school and i'm right. sure what that is 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 you know all due respect it's probably 30 songs and then 70 things that are not quite songs are not quite you know not quite, really quite fully formed yeah. yeah yeah but that are things that they played with and fooled around with and they have that such a tremendous history of of like creating as a as a couple there's that that has so much like they're there's that's what they're building on that sort of incredible foundation but we're catching them just as the the foundation isn't crumbling but the structure that was built on top of it is not holding its own weight anymore yeah um and you're starting to see the cracks in the in the uh facade of yeah of everything but yeah yeah certainly in that first episode Paul comes off as being this sort of driving force keeping the thing going and that it starts to read a little bit to me even as an outsider like he's bullying the others or you know, certainly George it starts to feel really weird like his oh this is how it needs to be kind of a attitude that that feels very um that's kind of where I was doing my most squirming was just watching George certainly go, you know, because because Paul would say, oh, no, this is just a suggestion, but it didn't yeah. feel like just a suggestion. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And and I, I even felt like I was at a little bit of a disservice because I almost wish there was a prequel documentary to this so that I could understand what the dynamic, the evolution of the dynamic, because by the I time like we're the, getting uh, to it, it's yeah. very complicated. Well, you know, I, I like that opening montage. Uh, quite a oh bit. yeah yes for however long it is three or four minutes i mean that's about as good an encapsulation of their rise as, yeah. as one could could hope for although ironically i thought the out of all the clips they show the ed sullivan footage looked crappy mm. suddenly that they cut to that and it's like <laughs> smeary video i'm like really well, that's so funny because that's it wasn't... the footage that doesn't look good okay. <laughs> when we were talking about summer of soul you you had mentioned that very feeling that you get when you're watching documentaries about music it's like that's yep. the one they went with well here's the yep. thing here's the thing you have to trust that they had all the resources one so so you believe there was something better out there and that peter jackson didn't go for it i i, I don't understand it okay I don't, unless <laughs> unless the point unless the point was to recreate the viewing experience that most people had when okay. they saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, which right. was this landmark moment. In right. 
and that then makes what we're watching it heightens what we're watching because there's so much at least in the at least the way this restoration looked to me it it looks good it looks stunning right compared to what it <laughs> used to look like right hmm. it, yeah hats off I, I i would really love to know how from a 16 millimeter film they got it to look quite that good right i'm very anxious to read about the restoration mm-hmm. um yeah but i did here's I, the question yeah no sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that i really did enjoy that encapsulation in the beginning and it lasted exactly as long as it needed to because i was starting to worry oh is this whole first one just going to be black and white photos and oh really see no i it was at such a breakneck pace that Mm. i i I wasn't worried at all that it was going to last longer than needed but um what's your question to your point about the uh, well i'll get to the question in a minute okay to your point about uh the the dynamic between them Originally, mm-hmm. obviously, we don't have a documentary about that, but I was reminded quite a bit, uh, quite a number of times during this, of a movie from the '90s called Backbeat. I know Backbeat. <laughs> Very underrated movie about I think so. the the Hamburg days. Yes, when there were technically five Beatles. Right, and it's it's mostly the relationship between that fifth Beatles, Stu Sutcliffe, and Astrid, who would become their their muse and photographer, um, and his relationship with the rest of the band before he yeah went his left, went his way went his way, um, and I think that's a really excellent film in that there's no magic moment that suddenly changes their songwriting from one day to the next they didn't suddenly get laid and now they're you know <laughs> doing amazing things no it just shows them bashing it out night after night and perfecting the craft the grind of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um it is too bad in a way that there's not more that there isn't a, a get back style documentary showing them from 64 65 <laughs> working with George Martin in the EMI studio right because making I, all the magic I don't think you can make I, I don't think you can make too little I don't know what I'm saying anymore George Martin is a critical his input his structure his I think yeah. his leadership and his contributions to the actual building of those songs I'm convinced mm-hmm. you know they're not the Beatles that we know without George Martin. Well, the, there's a very famous story that they, they initially uh, sent their demo to Decca Records, mm-hmm. and Decca turned them down. And right. so people have always been like, oh, you know, what a stupid thing Decca would have done. And it's like, yeah, well, if Decca had signed them, they wouldn't have gotten George Martin, and everything would have been different. Right. I mean, everything would have been the different. touring years would have kind of probably been the end of it. In a way, if they even if they even had the arsenal of songs to tour with, right, right. Because how many of them were 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 held were formed in no small part by the guidance of George Martin, right. And that's actually one thing I could fault Peter Jackson's film for mm-hmm. is that there's if you didn't know really anything about the Beatles' history, you would certainly not know that George Martin 
had anything to do with them. Right. And that and the significance of his role being subjugated to kind of just like a babysitter mm-hmm. during these sessions. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, assuming that there's not something that comes out in the next episode that kind of in clarifies that. Yeah, um, his presence on screen is minimal. I mean, Ghostly. certainly in episode one, they're in Twickenham. He's not there, basically. I mean, he might he might breeze through once or something. In yeah, the background. a couple of times he's in the background. Yeah, but he's a ghost, basically. Yeah, and 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 so when he finally does start appearing here, there is no little moment where we do a freeze frame on him or where they give us, you know, most of the most of the situational information is provided to the viewer via. Um, I don't want to call them sub subtitles. What captions? Captions. Captions. So every once in a while, if it's important for you to know that, you know, that somebody was late or that something was happening that then informs the drama of a situation. Um, And to that end, since he's basically wallpaper, George Martin, I agree with you that it would be helpful to get the bigger picture of all of the dynamics to go to have a caption that says, you know, George Martin was the, you know, producer who shepherded them through their recordings and da-da-da, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, here, relegated <laughs> to the status of wallpaper. Um, that would give you some context for him, but because he never seems to impact what's happening in the room, yeah. he doesn't earn context in the context of this film. Well, true, although I think part of the reason that the dynamic we're watching on screen between the four of them mm-hmm. transpires the way it does is because for the first time they don't have George Martin sort of yeah. steering the ship. Yeah, that's a good point. They're managing themselves. They're they're doing this all sort of off the cuff. They're very loose and undisciplined. Uh, and yeah, there's a double whammy going on here that that, that George Martin, however however that came to pass that George Martin was relegated to um, standing on the sidelines here. Yeah. Um, They've lost whatever structure. Like, there's a point at which, well, now jumping to episode two, there's a point at which um, Paul says, you know, we have to get something done every day. We have to have a, you know, he's talking about, and and, and that does feel like maybe that's, he's clinging onto the George Martin, you know, ethos, ethic. Ethic, yeah, Um, yeah. And uh, so there's that, but... But as important, possibly more important, they lost Brian. Yes, Brian Epstein. Brian Epstein probably would have handled all of the business about what is this TV show going to be. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. None of those conversations, those endless conversations. Yeah. While it was going on, that would have been hammered out. They would have been left to sit and do the creative work that they were there to do and not do the... Um, how do we then present this? How is this then pushed out into the world beyond whatever extent they wanted to do it? Because clearly, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Nickel yeah. is, I believe, the name of the weasel. I'll do respect to you, Mr. Nickel, who will not let go the idea of performing in Arabia or in Libya, whatever Was that it is. Jimmy Nickel or was that Dennis O'Dell? I've looked I, it up and... and okay. I, I went back and forth and the only place I found it confirmed it said Jimmy Nickel, but then 
okay. then when I looked at the pictures of Nickel, it seemed to be the same guy. But it's hard okay. to tell. Okay. Yes, I, I will say that maybe it was Dennis O'Dell, too. It was really sometimes hard. There were there had to be 20 people, minimum, other than the four of them, floating through that space, like a constant stream of people wandering through between yeah, Yoko dozen, and Linda two. and George's yeah. wife, who I can't think of her name. And Patty. who? Patty. Patty. Uh, and then there's Hari Krishna sitting on the floor at some point. And I'm like, what is everyone doing here? What is going on? It's a circus. Yeah. And a guy is building a, a sound a con- a control room. And I mean, there's so much anxiety for me as a person who has some sense of production to go, you know what you would do in three weeks? You would build the stage and you would figure all that out. You wouldn't also be not just learning the songs in those three weeks, you're writing the fucking songs too in the same room where they're trying to do all the others. It just is insanity. Yeah. It's it's, insanity. It's very tempting to think that uh, had Brian Epstein still been alive, this this whole project would have been handled much differently. Right. I almost want to go out on a limb and say... George Martin might have probably been more involved if Brian Epstein was still around. I think you're time. right. Um, I think he. I think Brian would have talked them out of going it their own way. Mm-hmm. But, but also that the impulse to go it their own way, I think, is probably stems to a certain extent from Brian's death. That yeah. he was a little bit of a father figure. They had sort of two father figures, but Brian certainly predates George, and he was he. You know, he loved them. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. George loved them, but I'm pretty sure that Brian did. George Martin, you mean? George Martin, yeah. No, that's true. You, uh, For all the interview clips he's given, he's always very clinical and... Mm-hmm. And, and removed. Yeah. Yeah, he no, he never gets emotional about yeah. about in any interview clip that I've ever seen. No, right. that's very true. That's very, very uh, and true. And very sort of typically British. It doesn't mean that there aren't feelings there, but it's not as, I don't know. I think Brian was a little more demonstrative. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they've got this, they're now rudderless in a way. Because yeah. Yeah. Brian was the rudder, I think. Um, and 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 George Martin might have been considered like a, he was the captain. I mean, he he did a certain he sailed the boat, but you can't steer the boat without the rudder. Thank you right. and good night. So <laughs> they've lost they've lost both of their mechanisms in one sort of thing, and, and almost there's almost a little bit of a, a a fuck you to George Martin in that they don't want to do it the way they've always done it with him. Yes, that is true. Um. A very very complicated time in their lives and uh and they're you know on one level to one extent or another grieving and they're dealing with the influences of each of them or many of them several of them having women in their lives and this isn't to say anything but about women specifically but spouses when you start to share your life with somebody else the influence of that person does start to affect you of course um and so this isn't me putting it all on Yoko in any way, shape, or form. She is mercifully quiet through most of this. <laughs> With a few notable exceptions. I was going to bring up the Yoko the Yoko element at some point. <laughs> yes, well, there there so, are some specific, 
specific moments that must be addressed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, anyway, it's it's this really loaded thing. And, and, and in a way, it's almost you can't talk about we can talk about episode one and episode two, but it's really hard to stay within chronology of these different like, oh, this was, you know, I can't imagine anyone who hasn't seen it already is listening to us, but they break it down day by day. And it's not like there's a story arc to any of that in particular. Well, I don't know that I would agree with that necessarily. Okay. I think I think part one appropriately climaxes with George's exit. Yeah, no, no. I'm not saying that there's not a structure in the larger sense. What I'm saying is it's not ah, like okay. like any individual moment that we might go, oh, that was amazing. It wasn't necessarily amazing because of the moments that came before it or came after it. It was just uniquely amazing in and of itself. But like the, in the case of in the case of Paul finding Get Back, happened somewhere in the first third to half yeah. of the first episode. But it only seems to be directly related to John is late, so so Paul has time to f- is f- killing time, to, yeah. and so it doesn't matter what happened the day before, and it doesn't matter what happens the day after. That moment just exists in its own little bubble, right? Um, except that then you see it, you see them working on it more. It starts to become a bigger thing. Gel it starts yeah. to gel a little, um, and even that. Oh my God, I forgot that. I mean, here's the thing. He and we always we kind of knew this that Paul gets I think mostly gets the music first. He gets melodies into his head, and he just does gibberish or does la di da la di da and to sing through those melodies and get that stuff. So he had the words "get back," but he didn't have "to where you once belong" or he didn't have so many other elements. And so then they have this musically. They have a song that's that's starting to be formed but they don't know what the song is about and that's not uncommon actually with, okay with a lot of groups recording albums is that they'll just sort of mumble vocal inflections right to get through it and then and then come up with lyrics later yeah so and then you see it here too where like suddenly the uh, a couple of words come in that we know right. make it to the final version and, right right yeah. Um, but this one in particular, for a period, they thought it was going to be a protest song and it was going to be about, you know, telling immigrants not that they, the Beatles, were saying to the immigrants, get back, go away. But no, they were criticizing that, that, that movement, attitude. which but, and but I'm glad that Jackson showed a little context for that. Too, yes, absolutely. That was critical um, that he, he breaks down a little bit for you. Yeah, the context, um, because they had the phrase, go back to where you once belong. And right. so that became, you know, because, you know, every time they'd leave, that's what they were hearing in the news was get out of here, get out of here. And I think sort of <laughs> it feels it feels funny that it, they were trying to make an important song and then they didn't end up making that important song. It became yeah. this other song in a way that I still think they wanted it to be about something, but I'm not sure it ever really was. Well, that was a little bit of a disappointment for me, is that we never really learned why Paul chicken shitted his way out of making a real <laughs> well, topical protest song. Well, here's what I will say about that, is that he may have, in your, in your glorious words, chicken shitted his way out of it, but um, the the lyrics he was ad-libbing were terrible. <laughs> like, before it was, 
our get back when it was the protest song. I didn't think any of that was worth keeping. Yeah, but it wasn't finished. But ah, it wasn't finished. I, 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 I decry that he even just went off that direction and somewhere else. Right. It's like before it even had a chance to gestate as something important right. well, and topical. Yes, what we're missing became... is he went home that night and he worked on it and thought it and just eventually went, you know what, this doesn't fucking work. And he didn't come. We're missing the part where he turned to the other guys and said, fuck the protest song. This is this, you know, whatever it is. But still then him trying to find the names. Sweet Loretta Marsh. Sweet Loretta this. Sweet, you know, he, he yeah. doesn't know what the names are. Um, Jojo Jackson and, and just all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly when he finally gets there, it is very exhilarating to go, that's the moment he, he, he said it for the first time or sang it for the first time. Um, but you're, you still seem like you're bitter. Well, okay. Loss. I'm going to, all right. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the question that <laughs> I... I didn't want to ha- I didn't want to ask, but um, ah, fuck it. I'm gonna ask it. Oh no. Are you a Paul man or a John man? Oh. Uh, <laughs> That's what it comes down to, buddy. And you can't be both. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not. I wasn't gonna say I'm both. I was gonna say something else. All right, that was unfair but, of me. No, right? no, no. I but take, I, I will I, give I, you. I'll that. give you a full. I will give you a full. Probably too long response. I'm sure you will. I think that when the two of them worked together, they became a, a third entity, mm-hmm. and that they produced things when they when that togetherness was at its height. They produced some really great stuff. As a third option, it's not both, but it's. Because basically, um, I sort of think that Paul was kind of a more of a pop sensibility, and John had a much um, more complicated musical um, muse. Like the stuff that would come out of him was more complicated, both musically in a way, but also um, subject-wise. And he was he was a darker yes. kind of a, char- a character, um, and and I feel like that comes out in even in this thing. Even oh in, God! Yeah, because in the following John way, brings across the universe to the to the table. That's not even and... what I mean. That's not even what I mean. But yes, yeah. um, so I would say that that John writes music that is almost um, galactic. It's almost like across the universe. It is, it is, it, it expands further than than reality can hold, and John is very firmly um, set in you know, entertainment rather than uplift Paul. or education. Sorry, Paul is very... Yeah, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. That Paul is is yeah. more... I don't want to just... He's all about toe-tapping and... A little bit... Stomping feet. Yeah, yeah. He's, John, he's, I think, forces you to think. I think so, too. But And, and ultimately, my I would rather listen to music from the touring years than imagine... That almost anything that John, that was just John, I, I don't have that much use for. But I don't have that much use for anything that was just Paul. I mean, I right. think the real testament is that 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 there was a spark that existed, not just between the two of them, but I think you have to add the other two, that created something that only could have come from the four of them and was bigger than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And that when you start to dismantle the the machine, 
each of them is is not just becomes one quarter of it or one fraction of it that will add up to a whole again. It doesn't. They're all reduced by not being together. Well, you know, I feel like when you listen to Paul, I'm sorry, when you listen to John or George solo material, Mm -hmm. you don't hear their contribution to the Beatles. It's not like you hear, I think, and I could be wrong, I'm sure there are plenty of Beatle fans out there who would disagree with me, but I feel like when you listen to John or George solo, it's not like, oh, that almost sounds like a Beatles song. Oh, that could have been a Beatles song with a little bit of tweaking. Very rare. Very rare. Mm -hmm. However, I feel like with Paul, a lot of his solo material is like, yeah, that could have been on the last album. (laughs) Um, Yes, agreed. And let me just go through and clarify something. I would rather listen to something that they all created together during any point of their thing than anything that any of them created individually. Did solo. But I would rather listen to probably John Solo more than Paul Solo. Okay. But I don't consider myself a John guy. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. But that answers your question in a musical. It does. It does. No, and and we grade you on a curve. you're, you're, You're good for that. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. I passed Excellent. the test. Excellent. Um, so, ah, shoot. There was what else was I gonna? What else was I gonna bring up? So, so yeah. The the end of episode one, and we <laughs> there's so much to still talk about. But at the end of episode one, as you know, tensions between mostly between Paul and, Paul George, and George seems to be seems to be coming to a head. Although, I don't think. I don't think John is helping at all. And Ringo seems to be really checked out in this weird kind of way. You know, I never thought in my life I would ever feel sorry for Ringo (laughs) until I watched part one. And I realized this poor guy is just basically waiting for the other two to kind of like work something out. And then he just sort of limply adds a drum beat to it. Like, I'm like, oh, right. This poor fucking guy. Right. I mean, he, it's almost, well, he must know it by this point, because who knows how much of this was part of the dynamic anyway, in terms of it not all coming together, that he's not going to add his Ringo until the rest of it is put together. Which would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Because how but much... But then you almost wonder why he's there. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> yeah, he... Um... For, for this stage of it, as opposed to bringing right. him in when they've got it more or less solidified now they just need the beat at, at least in episode one it feels that way once we get into episode two it does start to feel like he's much more in the mix when well, they really start working well everything changes in episode two. exactly but to, well 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 to get to get back to the end of episode one yeah um that was the end of episode one has one of the the major moments in it to me which isn't even so much George leaving, although that was that was something to watch, definitely. Yeah. But then when the three of them come back from lunch... Yes, that's what I was getting to. ...and are just totally unmoored. And yeah. Yeah. Just, it's like this primal Their, expression of something through bashing it out that they've never done before. 
unbelievable 15 minutes or whatever it was of them kind Not of even. wilding. They're just sort of, they're running around the space. They're playing all kinds of insane stuff. Uh, you know, they're not, I don't think it was a drug thing. It wasn't that it was, no. it's, it was emotional stuff. And you say the three of them, but you almost have to include Yoko. Cause that's the first unfortunate time that she really, uh, sounds, <laughs> sounds off. Um, where she and John are, John is basically, she's, she's playing the wailing. She's wailing. And John is playing the feedback. He's just no, shaking Paul, his... Actually. Paul, actually. It's Paul. It's Paul. What was yeah. John doing? I don't recall. I don't remember him. He does a piss take of one song, oh, but I don't okay. remember which one. Okay. Um, he, he he doesn't really like freak out as much as... As the as others. Well, Paul it and just, Ringo. Yeah, it just is is incredible. Um, that's it. That I mean, that's practically worth the whole first part in itself. Right. But I think the first part is generally, I think it's it's... Considering the circumstances, I think it's pretty excellent. Uh, yes. And I and think then, that was a great way to end that first episode. And, and, and so, yeah. And then just that very kind of took my breath away where they go. Yeah. They decide that when, you know, when they're, they're going to talk to George. And then it's so the caption says they decide the next day or whatever that they'll talk to George. And then it goes, they met right. at Ringo's house or something like that. You see the picture of Ringo's house. And it says that meeting did not go well. It did not go well. End of part one. End of part one. And my stomach just fell. Yeah. Just yeah. fell. Um. So. Yeah. Um. And then comes part two. And then comes part two, which is and part two. Yeah, <laughs> like an hour longer. Well, that was the other thing is is that it's not just that part one was an hour, part two was or two hours, and then maybe three hours, give or take. Right. They felt like. Four hours and seven hours. I was definitely getting impatient by part two, and I felt almost like like the point of most of the foot. Part two could have been a half hour shorter at right. least, if not 45 minutes. But I felt like the point after a while, it's like he's just throwing more evidence. Like, see, they did like each other. <laughs> right. I mean, here's the thing is that is that there's this definite you're, you're a fly on the wall every once in a while there's sort of an acknowledgement or a reaction to the fact that there are cameras there or that that some portion oh, of it yeah. is being recorded yeah. but largely it just feels like they're ignoring that and they're getting on they're getting on with what they're there to do uh ringo does a lot of mugging to the camera so does john uh yeah, yeah. more so in part two than in part one more yeah more so but I have to wonder if that's because the prox the physical proximity changes when they move from Twickenham oh, yeah. to where they had a uh, much the more roomy. building. Yeah, now you know the cameramen are practically on top of them. Right. So it's impossible to kind of put them out of your mind in that mind way. Yeah. as being around. Uh, that's a good call. And, and so there's still part two is starting now. They've moved from Twickenham into Apple Studios. George isn't back yet. But they're going to forge ahead and keep rehearsing and writing. Mm -hmm. And so now you do see George Martin appearing every once in a while because now you're closer to his the home base and everything. Um, yes. I, I just remembered something. I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt the train of thought, but it was one more thing about the end of part one. Yeah. The most incredible moment to me is like after all that 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 wildness, that 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 wailing around and, and yeah. the wailing and flailing and whatnot. 
And then there's this shot of the three of them just doing this little huddle. Mm. We don't hear anything, but we just see them kind of lean in, put their arms around each other. And you can just imagine them saying, you know, it's going to be all right. We're going to work this out, whatever. But that that little moment of tenderness. Yeah. After the two hours that we (laughs) saw. Right. That that really got me. That's yeah, that's great. Thank you for uh, thank you for interrupting. How often do I say that? No. Um, oh boy. <laughs> no, actually, that was uh, well worth the, well worth it. Um, so you are still dealing with the little bit of drama of what's going on with the band, and then there is another meeting with George that all the meetings are off camera that you know goes better, and they're going to come back and give it a try. So now you see the four of them in a studio setting. Right. More typical, yes. than trying to film on a sounds on a soundstage built for a film, and, and and collaborating in a in a way that's a little bit less fraught. Yeah, yeah. Not that it's gone um, completely uh, smooth, right? And this no, is, no. This is when I was going to sort of jump in and and talk about this this what I think was this extraordinarily passive aggressive thing. Uh, John Lennon really started to get on my nerves in this. Uh, in the second in one. part two in part two because of all um, the hmm? sorry no 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 no, it's okay go with uh, it <laughs> um but in particular he did this thing a couple times and i think it only happens in part two but it might also happen in part one where he just like well first of all he almost seems like he has uh attention deficit disorder or something because he's often not engaged in what the reality of what's going on around him and he's he talks in sentences that aren't actual english but are kind of like you know he just substitutes words and it's humorous but and i've seen him do it in in his writing too yeah but in the writing it's a guy sitting alone in a room writing down when you're having a conversation with somebody who isn't using words to talk with you it becomes very weird and there was a whole there's a couple points where he and Paul are engaged with one another, but what he's doing is he's quoting lines from songs that Paul wrote. Yeah. Almost. And so I ended up with this feeling, this sense that, you know, based on this, our little exchange earlier about, are you a John man or a Paul man? Mm. Is that I think I I have this feeling that there might've been no small amount of jealousy from John Lennon. John that for the things Paul that Paul writes, came up with? Paul writes yesterday. Paul writes Long and Winding Road. Or whatever it might be. And or these Michelle. things Yeah. And these things are are treated like the the gifts from God that he feels like his stuff should be taken at. I think you're onto something. And that, that the yeah. poppiness that John has, John has the pop solid and he's got just a just enough of the other thing to be able to deliver these things. And then of course they're added to by the other three until they're lifted above what even John can do alone as anything he produced yeah. afterwards <laughs> will attest. Um, wow. But well, that that's, uh, yeah, but that that's John alone has amplitude of thoughtful humanity, but has a much smaller collection of pop instinct and that combination doesn't pay off the way Paul's combination does. I felt when I was watching it like yeah. it, that, that, that John's 
pranksterism <laughs> kind of started running amok and I started to feel like wow so this is what it's like when you're with somebody who just jokes all the time right and just is never like you said never engage in a serious level with everyone else and I started to think that it was just a manifestation of him just not wanting to be there right just not at all mm-hmm. not on any level yeah and that was his way of, of expressing it and and dealing with it so that he could make it palatable for himself. Right. I often found myself flicking my eyes to Yoko whenever she was around and he was behaving that way to see if I could get any indication from her, you know, stone face as to if she was recognizing something in what he was doing. Um, but she's not... You uh, didn't get it, did she's you? She's not very forthcoming with her thoughts, no. <laughs> no, she's not. No, the, Yo- the Yoko question. The Yoko question. Um, yeah. There's um, there's actually a fantastic piece in the New York Times that I recommend everyone read if they can. Unfortunately, there's paywall on the from the New York Times. I can PDF it for somebody. If oh yeah, yeah. Need be. Um, it's called the sublime spectacle of watching Yoko Ono disrupt the Beatles. <laughs> And it's just basically the reaction that that this woman had with sort of being distracted by Yoko's non-presence the whole time. Right. It's a fantastic piece. It's it's, it's okay. very much worth it. Um, but uh, yeah, you know they. Can I just say, as long as we're love, talking about yeah. a fantastic a, a woman's fantastic reaction to Yoko Ono, I'm watching this in one room in the house. My wife, who's working from home, is in another room in the house. And any time that Yoko would, I'll put it generously, sing, mm. my wife could get very angry. And she goes, who's letting her do that? And she wanted to know who was to blame. And she's like, and okay, so she did it, but did they have to put it in this documentary? Couldn't they have just well, and, left? And, which, is, which is a point that's addressed in this New York Times piece is that um, <laughs> she, she, she says that, you know, she, she's watching this and, and shouting at the TV screen like why is she there why is she even there <laughs> and the way she, she, she's answered, obtrusive by her unobtrusiveness that's so funny that's amazing i my re- reply to my wife was more along the lines of this is the moment that's happening and everybody there is affected by what's happening and contributing to it in one way or another and that as hard as it might be to listen to her make those noises. I mean, listen, there's a point at which you go, why can't you just go back to being quiet? <laughs> because at least then I didn't have to listen to this. Um, yeah, see, I, my, my, I my wife like, has the same reaction to Yoko Ono as well. Right. Well, that's very cool. I will, uh, I'll have to, uh, P- you can PDF it and send it to me or I'll try and find it. Well, but, no, I'll, I, I will, we'll put it in the notes for this okay, episode okay. and I will, uh, I, I will be able to identify the, the, the author, author and uh, give apologize yeah. as, as much as I possibly can for forgetting her name during yeah. this episode. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you something about, yeah. about Yoko. I don't think you'll hear this anywhere else. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yoko was on the way to becoming a really great artist and then John came along and fucked it up. Wow. Um, How's that for perverse? What kind of an artist? The performance artist Mm. that she was before John. Wow. 
Well, I, I don't think we have enough time <laughs> today for that, but we might need to come back to a, a more detailed explanation of yourself, young man. I, I, I dig her wailing. I think her first couple of solo albums are fantastic. Oh, my God. I think. Oh, yeah. I think this is this is our Let It Be right here. This is our Get Back. This is our Let It Be. You're yeah. listening no, to that's the right. Disillusion. Anyone listening to this episode is going to hear it all The end apart. of it. Yep. Oh, my God. And it will be Yoko again that did it. Yep. Yoko strikes again. She does. <sighs> um, she does. It'll be a sad day when, when she passes. <laughs> In this house, at least. Or half of this house. So, yeah, I was, uh, I, I was kind of wondering if at some point she was going to break her silence, so to speak. Um, and it was certainly an appropriate moment. I wish there was more reaction to her wailing from the others. Not so much John, because we know he was behind, you know, he supported it. Right. But just sort of like what would, you know, Paul and Ringo, the people who felt like she was already an intrusive presence. Mm. What, what, what was their reaction in that moment when they're all going crazy? Right. Well, to that question you pose, I shouldn't wonder this wasn't the first time they heard her doing that. You are correct. And so it wasn't like, listen, the expression, However, the appropriate expression for someone to have on their face the first time they hear that noise, it, all due respect to your feeling about it, it's that, uh, yeah, one of stricken horror, but yes. But. And while that's true, they probably have heard her. They probably had heard her sing before this. Uh, you can argue that um, this was not a a moment that's appropriate for her to be expressing anything. Her band's not breaking up. Her friend didn't leave the room. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. But so, I'm going to counter. Yeah, with everyone else is freaking out, but it's because they're being affected emotionally by what just happened. You're just a witness and should just. <laughs> Continue sitting back. Oh my god. Okay. Well, now I think we know where you stand on the young. Amanda Hess. I'm sorry. Amanda Hess is the woman who wrote the New York Times article. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. 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 Um I'm gonna I'm just doing devil's advocate here. I don't have any strong feelings in either way. I would counter to a certain extent with that moment that we're talking about. She was hmm. not disrupting business as usual. Business as usual had blown itself apart. Right. And so it's not the same thing as her doing it in the middle of them writing, you know, get like then they're finally writing get back or they're finally, you know what I mean? Billy Preston's in the room and now everyone has to stop to listen to her wail. Right. Um, we're going to talk about Billy Preston in a minute. Oh, too. please, please. But um, and the other thing I want to come back to. Yes, it wasn't her. What you said, it, it wasn't her friend that just left. It wasn't her bandmate that just left the room. It wasn't her band and her livelihood. that It's was sort threatened. of like not her moment to react to. Uh, da, da, I, I'm going to appreciate your position when you say that, but she was already a part of that dynamic. Just because she was already there during the y yes. sessions for the White I mean, Album. And, and, and true, you, and, and you picture, like, let's say uh, Linda Eastman had been in the room or Patty had been in the room. They would have had a much more British or reserved reaction. They would have kept their hands closed. They would have stayed possibly near the the men that they're there to be with and do you know what mm -hmm. i mean and that 
and that mm-hmm. she's not, everybody doesn't grieve the same way. So her doing that in that moment is the way she's ex- to me. She's externalizing the feeling that's going on in the others. She's vocalizing it, um, whether or not it's her place yes. to do that or not, is a separate separate okay, question. Fair enough. However, um, I'll say this: I've heard that wail before. And it's not the wail of exasperation or chaos or release. Okay. I wished it was, but I don't think it was. Okay. It didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a wail that I felt was appropriate to the right. Moment. Uh, that, that's fine. That's fine. I, you you can go back and I watch it again. I want to say one more I thing. I don't will. need to watch it again. I wish she would never make any noises at all, but. Um, the other thing, then, I'm still I'm still playing devil's advocate here because I really don't care one way or the other, and I think that a lot of what you have to say is valid. Um, that uh, two things. First of all, yes, what you started with this was you wish that you had a better insight into what they were thinking about the noises she was making, the appropriateness of her intrusion, and that's you're absolutely right. That would have been. I just mean a reaction shot. I didn't mean anything elaborate. Right, but, just... but I mean. The thing is, is that what you were seeing was probably the reaction shot, which is that they were just going through their own thing anyway. Everyone just sort of went down their rabbit hole. Yeah. So that was one thing. And the other thing was, uh, I forgot it, doesn't matter. Um, Let me see if I can grab the tail of it. No, I think it's gone. We've spent more than enough time on her. Uh, <laughs> moving on from Yoko, uh, and not that John is, not that Paul is perfect, not that Paul is perfect. I just want to add, because there's that beat where, like, apparently during in the background of all of this, George Harrison has been arrested for punching a guy in Paris or something, and there's this yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. this stuff in the newspaper that's like. Like taking down, like, like doing an autopsy of the Beatles in the newspaper, sort of, about a lot of the drama right. that's going out around in the tabloids. And so there's a point at which, and this article has, the paper in which this article exists has been floating around the room for, it feels like, for days. But there's a point at which John just picks up and like reads this, almost this entire article that's kind of like, mm-hmm. the article itself is like I sticking it. Paul. Paul, Paul does it. Yeah, sorry. Do I keep doing that? Sorry. Paul reads this entire article. You're the Paul thing. I don't know. <laughs> you fucker. Um, and there's there's a there's a knife, there's an edge to that article. There's a little bit of a it's kind of jabby, and it feels like the super hostile thing to oh, do. It's very jabby. That he's just I mean, in a way, he's sort of mocking it by reading it out loud to everyone, and everyone is ignoring it, and so they're and- Oh yeah, and in a tone that's, that's that is mocking. mocking. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, somebody else—I think it's John, and I mean John in this case—is playing a song oh, yeah. and singing behind it, like he's just in his own little world playing an old song. Right. Um, so there's a lot going on in an audio way, but it just—it felt super, not just mocking and hostile to the guy who wrote it. I felt like it was almost mocking and hostile in the room, particularly towards towards mm. George, possibly. But. I'm not always sure who's listening or who's standing there because sometimes they just don't have the footage that matches the audio. Yes, they qualify that in the beginning to say that there are times where there's no audio right. or there was no there was no uh, visual 
recording of what was captured on audio right. and that they substituted when they could. Um, and I, I did find that a little distracting sometimes because the sound in this thing is so continuous. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few times where they 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 mash together like snippets of different of, of portions of different songs or different yeah. jams that they do, but they string it out almost like a like a like a medley. Like, like you could almost be fooled into thinking that they performed right live that way. Like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's clearly just a it's a it's a <laughs> medley is the word. First, I wanted to say montage. Then I wanted to say menage. Mash None up. of these words were right. Um, before we get to Billy Preston and some other musical stuff, I just wanted to to oh. say that um, "Let It Be" is the documentary that came out in 70 or 71 whenever it was 70. do you know now i'm doing an aside for myself yeah when when that documentary was released had the beatles already broken up were they in the process of breaking up yep they had already broken up no. and that's that's in yep. large part why i think this gets the label of here you're watching it break up oh yeah no definitely uh there's an interview where peter jackson talks about uh talking with paul in the very early stages of this project and he said to Paul, look, you're, you're remembering the final product coming out when you guys were breaking up. You're not remembering the three weeks beforehand when you guys were having fun in the right. studio. Right, And that's what I want to show. Yes. And so what he, what he, almost what this is, is a documentary about the making of a documentary. Which Jackson has called it, oh, okay. actually. He's called this a documentary about a documentary. Uh, so that in and of itself is like, you know, that's inception-level um, thinking here. And so with <laughs> that in mind, um, I want to talk for a second about not something Peter Jackson did, but something the filmmakers did. You mean the original? Of the original documentary. The original Let It Be director, a guy named Michael Lindsay, Lindsay Hogg. Michael Lindsay Hogg and his cohorts... Put a microphone yeah. hidden at a table that John and Paul yes. sat down at to have what they could thought was a private conversation. That is the secret weapon no one has talked about yet as far as this series is concerned. Because I don't think... Uh, for, first of all, okay, for, for, for all, the, 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 all the Beatles bootlegs mm-hmm. that are out there, you could actually download all 60 hours of the audio or 150, right. whatever, whatever that number. It's all out there. Yeah. But I don't think that has ever been made available, even unofficially, to Beatles fans. That has got to have been, even for the most diehard fans, that must have been a whole Talk shit about moment. fly on the wall. So first of all, you're just sitting there with your jaw in your fucking lap, listening to them talk. Not that, yeah. not that what they say is even that... Um, revelatory. Oh, I disagree. Well, I disagree. They they pretty openly acknowledge that they marginalized George what, all this time. Okay, but what I mean is that nobody calls anybody else a twat. Or, you know, there's nothing in it that's that's well, incendiary. No. Nothing, yes, salacious, nothing salacious. Nothing salacious or incendiary. Yeah. Um, it's just them them talking honestly about some of the dynamic that has gone on over the years. So that in and of itself, and, and right. it puts, if you felt like a fly on the wall before that, you are now really a fly on the wall because... There aren't any cameras, and so they ha- have every right to think that no one is ever going to hear this conversation. However, I feel like it is very dirty pool for that microphone to have been there in the first place. 
Oh, definitely. That it's I even question how they knew to have a microphone ugly. there. So they almost have to know. They almost have to have run and planted it there once they knew that John and Paul were going to step aside and have a conversation. And they might have even said, listen, go yeah. in there, use the table, hang out, we'll leave you alone. You know, that they may have urged them to a place where they could then get this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's there's this really dark and dirty side of that. So even while my heart is soaring and, oh my God, I can't believe I'm hearing this, I am also thinking at the same time, there's no way on earth I should be hearing this. This should have been a private conversation that I can't hear. And I don't stop to say, well, does that mean that Jackson shouldn't have included it? I don't know. Well, Paul could have vetoed it. And what I go with is I'm sure he didn't do any of this without the full pre-knowledge and cooperation of the estates and everyone signed off on what yeah. we're watching. Everyone yeah. signed off on what so, we're watching. So, um, yeah, in fact, if Yoko had any comments, she, she, it was, why isn't there more of me uh, wailing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the look on your face. Uh, so much. All right. So, listen, <clears throat> I just wanted to touch on that because I'm not quite sure, but I, I, I'm as fascinated about the existence of that audio yeah. and how it would have come into I want to know more about that fuck what they were thinking when in the wilding when Yoko was was singing I want to know what happened there and then and then the conversations around it I'd like to see the documentary of the making of this documentary where they talked about pieces and should it be included and shouldn't because this I, is all the stuff that was on the cutting room floor before but there must still be stuff on the cutting room floor there is there's you can make two more documentaries I want that whole secret conversation. <laughs> All right. I'm cause... so, I was so not uncomfortable listening to it. I want the whole thing. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Maybe there's more to it. Starting with the moment where they say, oh, finally, we get out of here. We don't have all those fuckers following us around with microphones and cameras. Right, right. Let's right. talk. That's, uh, yeah, that would have been, uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. So now we can get onto the musical stuff a little bit more and, and talk specifically at first, I think, about Billy Preston. Why don't you take the lead? I was almost more anxious for him to appear than I was to see George's exit, to tell you the truth. Really? Why? Because I always felt like his his keyboards, his contributions to those last two albums are incredible, mm -hmm. are just incredible. I mean... You almost don't think of it, but you know, take for example, um, last uh, from from Abbey Road. Uh, I want you. She's so heavy. Mm. He's doing some sick organ work in the second right. half of that song. It just gets buried with everything else, or even with. Well, you know what? I don't even have to provide examples. It's evident in the documentary. As soon as he sits down and starts playing, everything changes. Yeah. Absolutely. I've got a feeling suddenly is like, yeah, that's the song. He has right. that little sour note to, to get back yeah. and Paul's all over it. Like, yeah, more of that. You know, like. Right. Amazing how this this guy walked in and every the energy just totally changed. Not just that the songs themselves go through an additional morphosis. Right. Yeah. The dynamic among the players all changes. Um, and, and that tension just goes and you see them having fun. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's also just given, you know, that they've always been the four and now there's a five and they have a little brief dialogue of like, gee, should we make them a fifth Beatle? You know. Right. It's it's just interesting. I think it would just be, be interesting just to have had a documentary just about, you know, what happened when number five showed up and right. <laughs> how it changed everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's Yeah. I was so... It was... Uh, it's like suddenly the clouds parted and the sun was shining and uh and you kind of it i, I, mean, I liken so, it to to yeah. to like when 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 you're sick in bed for a few days mm-hmm. and then someone opens the window and in <laughs> and literally this fresh air comes in and you, right. you partially invigorates you that, that's what's happening yeah. when he walks yeah. in uh, there's a there's a point i think possibly before he gets there but once they start really recording the album mm-hmm. and you'll probably know the song because i can't think of it at the moment but there's a point at which they start playing a song and then the the caption comes up saying this is the take that ends up on the on the um, let it be album yeah yeah um do you remember what song that was it might have been me, my, mine. I can't remember. It's, oh, it's one of yeah, the George yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a George song. It's, it's a George song. I don't remember which one offhand. Because oddly enough, I'm not a big fan of that album. As much as watching, you know, Get Back be birthed and then go through all the sort of growing pains that it did, watching them play the song as it will be. It's not them you know doing playing to playback and pretending to record the song the way the videos would have you believe you're watching you know right. music videos in general this is them actually doing it and there's just something really really special about being able to see that moment and similarly i felt the same way <clears throat> similarly i felt the same way with uh billy preston when yoko wales oh no <laughs> when billy preston is there and you're hearing his contribution be born. I mean, because you're hearing him figure it out with them and all of them do it together. Absolutely uh, fantastic. It's kind of easy to forget, but I mean, if you think about a song like Come Together, mm-hmm. the keyboard, like, I'm not going to say they make the song, but right. if you try to imagine that song without the it, keyboards... It, the keyboard becomes the spine of many of these things yes, in a way yeah. that, you know, is unique to those songs. Um, yeah, no doubt that uh, his presence and contributions were. I didn't understand the full depth of it until I saw it here, and then talking with you, I get even a bigger, a greater sense of the depth of what he's contributed. And just in general, a lot of the fun that I had in the second one, which, in a larger sense, is lighter. The proceedings are definitely lighter. There's a lot less heaviness in the air, for sure. Yeah, was hearing them playing not just their own. Like they talked about the hundred songs they wrote. Well, and, they, and they play try to bring a, up a couple of them. A dozen, yeah. probably a dozen of them that get get thrown into the mix of things you've never heard them. At least I've never heard. Right. I'm not big on the bootlegs. Me neither. Um, uh, never heard them do. Never heard them play. Right. And you can see why, as much fun as it is to hear some of them, there weren't any one of them when I went. Oh, I wish that was a whole, you know, like like I went, "Oh my god, a lost treasure." They all seem like, yeah, they were left behind for a reason because they're not or, quite yeah, or they as, were embryonic and yeah. they could have been worked and fashioned into um, something. But but when they're playing their their 
they're old stuff that are, you know, hidden forgotten gems, but also like just bits and pieces of things that are just their songs that they're, I enjoy that so much. The sense of like, like, I don't, do you know how long those days were when they come in and they say, oh, we're having breakfast? I'm assuming it's noon. Yeah, probably something like that. You know, they're having, they're, they're having toast and coffee, but I don't think it's, it's, it's seven or 8 a.m., 9 a.m. I think they're rolling in. And that when they're finally quitting for the day, it could be a 12-hour day. You know, it's 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 impossible to say because uh, they seem to just live on toast. It's a continuum <laughs> that it defines all boundaries of time and space. It's right. just, there's a perpetua. Or when they, when of, they do say, toast. oh, let's stop for sandwiches, and then you see the sandwiches that they're eating. They're the saddest. They're like cheese they sandwiches. Are, they're, like, they're like these thin little things. I'm like, really, guys? That was the best you could get for the most popular band in history. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> well, on the other hand, they were all real thin. None of them are. Yes, they were. That is yeah. true. Yeah. Um, other bands have to do it with cocaine. But the Beatles just did it by eating no, British to- food. On toast. Yeah. Keepers and toast. Right. And a glass of wine. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Plenty so of drinking. So benign. So benign. By the way, um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but be amused and annoyed mm-hmm. at the, uh, the disclaimer at the beginning of the film that it, there are mature <laughs> themes, there's some language, and dun, 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 smoking. Right, what I mean? Come on now. What I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the day when they say you know, the following movie contains profanity, sexual situations, and jaywalking. <laughs> well, I think part of the problem there might be that it's Disney. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll tell you something. This is a complete side note that doesn't mean anything, but um, as you know, my wife works for Disney. Um, not in any kind of a grand capacity, but she's part of the organization. It and, doesn't influence uh, your it, opinion on any of this at all. It, it always... No, I know it doesn't. No, 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 no. I wasn't being <laughs> no, no, no. I know it's it came okay. out that way. I didn't mean it. Okay. It, it. It galls me. This is completely having to do with nothing and may never make the air. It galls me when she says, oh, that's ours, referring to a Disney product. But, for example, something like Star Wars or Marvel. Where I go, yeah, just because you acquire something doesn't actually Being make it, it yours. yours. Yeah. Now, you can argue that anything produced once they own it is theirs because they were part of it. But I still find it, it just grates on me when I when I go to Disney Plus and I see these tiles that say Star Wars and Marvel and so on and so forth. And I'm like, yeah, you bought it and you got to use it, but... And generate yeah, money out yeah, of it. Yeah, you know, in the pre-streaming days, that happened a lot with like with with uh, catalogs that got sold to right. another video label, like MGM sudden, to Warner, right? Brothers. Like MGM's, yeah. you know, busting its buttons because it has dances <laughs> with wolves. It's like you didn't make that movie. <laughs> you made the video right. box, Good right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So that was com- a complete aside there, but for some reason, it felt like it was. Um, it was germane. So I loved hearing them play those old uh, those old numbers and just the sense of play that yeah. they had with one another. Just, just and sort then, of exploring them again. And then the occasional cover that they did, too. Of, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. By me. Yeah, whoever right, thought right. you'd hear the Beatles do that. You know? Yeah, and they're just sort of noodling. It's not like they go, here's an official, proper, you cover, know, presentational right. thing of it. They're just sort of 
killing time while somebody's setting something up in the other room or whatever it might be. Right. Um, and then, uh, gloriously somehow, the whole conversation about do, doing the uh, concert overseas and there was, a, I mean, he, let's let's see if all the all that we can remember the different ideas they had for what the concert would be. It was going to be at Twickenham, possibly there. And I think they were only there because Peter Lindsay Hogg was Michael Lindsay involved. Well, sorry, uh, was involved with uh, Magic Christian, and that that was happening in a soundstage nearby. And Ringo was associated with that, and uh, sort of. It wasn't. It wasn't Lindsay Hogg. It was Dennis oh. O'Dell, who's okay. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. He was he was producing the Magic Christian. And, yeah. Gotcha. All right. So so it was going to be there. Uh, it was going to be on a farm. It was <laughs> going to be an orphanage. In, in an orphanage, a uh, hospital, hospital like at Parliament. Uh, like they were going to go Primrose Hill or Primrose Pine Hill is another Hill. one. Yeah, uh, and of course a ship, uh, the QE two, the QE two, right? But the QE two on the way to, I think they were going to sail the QE two to the Arabian location, yeah, yeah. the, the Libya location, uh, Libya. Yeah. Libya, and then do that. You know, I say keep saying Arabians because he kept saying two thousand Arabs, Arabs. In terms of yeah, I know the audience, and I'm like, that's not selling it, dude. Just that, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's just nobody is coming up with or, or that or at the Apple Studio. I think was like in the actual studio itself, maybe or just oh uh, the cavern. They talked about like we should do it in a nightclub. Oh yeah, we should like, go back with, to the Cavern Club. Right, right, right. And he said we'll do it for ten people, and the guy is like, but so many more than ten people want to hear this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Doing it for ten people would have been a really fucking cool idea. Just ten golden glorious people just pulled off and taken into the cavern. And they play anyway. They had about eight different ideas. One, you know, some of them which kept coming back over and over, right? And all of them falling apart. And then eventually, it was like they're not going to be able to secure a location. They have so little time left. Um, I I love watching the deterioration of Michael Lindsay Hogg's uh, <laughs> energy and enthusiasm as this thing went. It starts off, he's all he's right. all marching around, proud, and yeah, we're filming this and blah blah blah. And then you know. Through episode two, you can see he's like wringing his hair. I don't have a movie here, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and so they have this great shot because they don't have audio on it. I think that's what makes it great is the shot when the two guys go over to Paul McCartney while something else is happening. The audio is somebody playing a song somewhere, some, yeah. some other conversation going on. Yeah. And they have footage of Paul hearing for the first time, maybe we can do it on the rooftop here. Rooftop. And, and you so don't hear see, them say it, but you see his eyes. You see it in his eyes. His and you face. see the smile break out on his face, and it's so beautiful. And then you cut to all these stiff British guys dragging, like literally dragging themselves and each other's up onto the rooftop. Like I know. there's a point at which they just he's like dead weight and they haul this guy up. And they're all looking out at it and talking about, you know, will the there's questions about will will the weight of the roof be able to hold everything and what, can we go over here? Can we go over there? Whatever it is. Um, and then there's a moment where they, where the camera's on the roof looking down as uh, Paul lowers himself mm -hmm. and has a little drop. And then he takes a couple of steps, it's about 10 feet or so, and then he hops over a railing and he does sort of a little spin as he lands and goes off. And there's so much lightness and joy and happiness in his He's movement. like a little kid. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a little fucking kid. And it was so wonderful. Um, Especially but, since the, the beginning of that episode, 
you know, if you recall, it's 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 the aftermath of George gone, and it's him and Ringo and the wives sitting around, and they're sort of kind of like, where's John? Has anyone heard from John? Right, And right. there's this moment where we hold on McCartney's face for a few, like, quite a quite a while it's a few seconds but it's longer right. than you would expect but you can just see the look in his face like holy shit is this all falling apart is this the end right of the now band? yeah yeah like right now is this happening and then right to contrast that with at the end of the episode where <laughs> it comes together and, right and also yeah exactly come together and 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 like usually usually when i watch uh, a biopic which is i know is a very different thing than a documentary um, you go, okay, well, I know Ray Charles, whatever he was, and then I know what the some of the, uh, you know, seminal events in his life. And uh, I, I kind of, there's almost never any drama in how did we get from, how did Ray Charles get from me from point A to point Z when he was right. Ray Charles or anybody, you know, not just musical ones, whatever. I'm on the edge of my seat because I'm like, they were talking about 2,000 Arabs, and they were talking about the QE2, and I know they end up up in a rooftop. How do we get from point A to point Z? Yeah. What is gonna? How does this? How does this happen? And so it's actually exhilarating when you go, oh, they finally got there. I've been waiting for them. Usually, I get bored waiting for movies to catch up with me, but here I was thrilled when they finally got there yeah um and then even still i feel like it ends with like a they have four days or they have three days until the concert and you go uh, you can't even now picture how they got all of that done well we're going to picture it when we watch part three <laughs> exactly yeah uh, my final take here if, if you're ready for a final take oh sure more than ready probably i feel like uh Peter Jackson has done something quite wonderful and miraculous. And I'm going to hold off any of my kind of, if I have any negativity, really, I'm going to wait until I see the, the final installment before I, I say anything more than, you know, job well done, sir. He's done a great service to certainly Beatle fans, but possibly beyond that as well. Yeah. I, I, I'm withholding comment on whether I think this will have the same, impact on someone who's not a huge Beatles fan but it is mm-hmm. it is fascinating in every every sense of the word in every way to 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 be a part of this whole experience he he did do a great job for 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 creating a film that takes the fly on the wall approach mm-hmm. and not even footage that he had control of when it was right. filmed right Absolutely fantastic job. I, I, I again say to to see the original documentary is it feels longer than part two. Mm, really? Okay. Well, I'm gonna try to catch up with that. It's just it's just insufferable. It's just there's, <laughs> one, there's, there's, there's one scene in it where like basically we're looking at the back of Paul's head for like five minutes. It's like I'm like, how did anyone agree to release this? Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. <laughs> Can't wait for part three. Uh, me too. Me too. Looking forward to it very much. I think we will forego any trailer trash talk. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't today. see any trailers. But yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I have been to other movies in the theater since then, so I have a little collection of ones I can talk about. Okay. But I feel like we've been we've been at it here long enough. Sure uh, we are going to have a trivia question, so you can prepare yourself for that, uh, both Dr. G and 
our good listeners. Uh, going to take care of a little housekeeping here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Going to take care of a little housekeeping here. <laughs> um, so as you've heard us say before, we want you to join this conversation. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or you can write us at uh, hwoodrx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about what we've said, what we haven't said, what you think we should be talking about. We really want to know what's going on in your minds. Yes. Um, and specifically, uh, with regards to uh, to Facebook, I know uh, we get um, people checking in over there from time to time, and I want to encourage anyone who can hear my voice to go find the link there to uh, what we're calling the Hollywood RX refill. We've had an extended conversation about the James Bond picture. Uh, I forgot what it's called. No time to die. <laughs> no time to die. I'm useless. Uh, in any case, um, there's a lot of good stuff in there that you didn't hear if you listen to the podcast, the full podcast itself, because we had uh, more than could be contained. We just had to circle back to one another. We'll do we'll do more of those as we go forward. Probably not about the Beatles. We will have covered the Beatles fully on this. Though to uh, your credit, you didn't say Paul Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're right. Anytime. Um, but uh, without any further delay, you'll find the notes, uh, you'll find links to all the ways to find us on uh, uh, social media and so on and so forth uh, in the notes uh, of the show. And also that, uh, that um, what do you call it, a PDF or something to track down that article for, um, from the Times about uh, Yoko Ono's presence and yes. effect. On this it's thing. actually a, it's it, it seems to be on sites other than the New York Times. So oh good good. So we should have to worry be about to... the paywall. I'll be putting a free link up there. Okay, very good, excellent. That's that's beautiful. Okay, so I am going to turn the spotlight right now onto my uh, partner here, and he is going to uh, give us the tantalizing. <laughs> He's going to give us the tantalizing listener question for this week. This week's trivia question is: What is the only Beatles song to have reached number one in the charts that does not have the t that does not have the title of the song in the lyrics. Hmm. <clears throat> now you've got me thinking, but I don't think I know enough, uh, and I don't want to just have dead air while I'm trying to think. Uh, listen, if you're much better than I am, and I know most of you are. Uh, you already know an answer or have a good guess, which I don't currently have. You can tweet your entry to hashtag HRX contest and we'll gather the correct answers there and randomly crown a winner. Good luck to you all. I can't wait to join you in the winner's circle. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pleasure speaking with you this evening. Truly would not have been the same without you. I'd like to thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. For now, and until next time, the doctors are out. I have to put us on pause for a minute because I just realized that one of my two laptops is not plugged in. Hopefully it is not the one that and, is recording. Uh, the one that you and I are, I can't hear you now, I took it off. Yeah. I'll hear you. I'll hear what you said later when I cut it. But <clears throat> <laughs> I 
I think Yoko. you're wailing like Yoko Ono. You know that I don't no. hear it now. What are you talking about? That wasn't me. No, that wasn't me. Hey, you may as well call this uh, part two. You may as well call it the long and winding down. <laughs> <So it's... laughs> we'll cut that into the previous episode.